Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.45 a.m. It is December the 2nd, 2019. Getting close to the end of the year, guys. Oh, this is episode 170 of Bitcoin, and I'm sorry. Yep, yeah, that's right. I was going to give y'all more than two shows last week, and I didn't. Family just, I kept looking around going, you know what? I don't really want to be doing anything but chilling out with my sister, wife, my kids. You know, it was it was an awesome Thanksgiving, and everyone... Held to the rules of not talking about politics and not talking about economics. It was it was cool. I saved the economics crap until um, the next day when I was talking with my sister about something that is unrelated to uh, this show and, and Bitcoin in general, but kind of not. Because I want to talk to you about something before we begin this today's show. I want to talk to you about something that I've been thinking about for years. Um, once I, once I latched onto the idea or not the idea, but once I latched onto this situ this issue, um, I haven't let go of it for years and years and years. And I'm going to give it to you now. And it goes back to, it goes back to family and in a roundabout way, yes, Bitcoin fixes the following. Why does everybody move away from their family? That's, that's the question. What messaging have we been given for our the entirety of my life? The messaging that I've been given from parents, friends, other family members, the radio, television, advertising, books, everything I've ever heard in school, that when you're 18, you leave. Now, I'm not suggesting to stay in your parents' basement. That's not that's not what this is about. Yeah, at 18, you should get the hell out of your parents' house. What I am suggesting is that if at all possible, don't move halfway around the world or halfway across, you know, a continent or halfway across your freaking country. Unless you're halfway across your country is a 30-minute drive. That that does occur. Um, so what the hell am I getting at? Well, I'm getting at that the destruction of Western families, I think, has been done on purpose and maybe not guided. I'm not suggesting that the Illuminati are out there, uh, you know, making sure that the messaging is, you know, the messaging was proper. You know, maybe it's more of a hive mind thing, but it doesn't really matter how the messaging started or if somebody started the messaging. The message is you can't be around your parents. Families are not to be extended families. And if you don't know what an extended family is, 
go dig up one of the old episodes of a show called The Waltons. Now, in this particular case, this was like a, a sit. Well, it wasn't a sitcom. It wasn't a comedy. It was a. It was just a. It was a running series. I think it was on for like I don't know four or five years at least. <clears throat> it's where you get the saying "Good night, John Boy." Um, it was a family in the depression, or it's a story about a family in the depression era, and they had four generations of family living under the same roof. Yeah, I know. The thought is kind of terrifying. However. That's kind of how shit was done way back in the day before, you know, I don't know, the Federal Reserve, before income tax, before all the crap. There were, it was not at all uncommon for there to be multi-generational households all across the United States. And it wasn't, in some cases it was necessary because there was so much rural activity and farming and stuff going on that you needed kids to work the farm and you needed them to stay there to continue to work the farm. Um, But as time moved on, the messaging became more of get the hell out and never come back. And so now we get, we have a situation where families are are split up all the way, all across the country. Now I'm going to tell you a little story um, about what, well, I'll just let, let you in on on something in my life. Like both my parents are dead. Okay, I got a wife and I got two kids, and they literally have no grandparents. And I won't go into what's going on with my wife's parents. Okay, that's that's her business. But essentially, out of my immediate nuclear family, beyond well, not my immediate nuclear family is fine, but my nuclear family where I came from, everybody's dead. I got one uncle left alive. I got no dad. I got no mom. So that my kids have no grandparents. And so, you know, it's having to do all this without any, nobody was able to watch the kids. You know, I'm not going to take them out to, you know, to set them down at a, at a babysitter. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we're just not like that. But because of the limited amount of family members that we, that I'm left with, um, there's there's no help at all, which is fine. It's it's been difficult, but it's like I you know, I'm just saying that when you have families that stick together, like oh I don't know the Rockefellers, the Kennedys, <clears throat> the um, Car- uh, Carnegies, these kind of people that were eventually became very very rich. One of the reasons was their family stuck together like glue. And while they did not live in multi-generational households, they were close enough together that they could be across town or it's like a, you know, half an hour drive away, something like that. And be, they got rich because their families stayed together. That was one of the reasons. Now, there's some ethical problems like Joe Kennedy made all his money running moonshine during Prohibition. But... You don't get what the Kennedys have become when your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are all flung across the world like, you know, a bunch of tissue paper in the wind. So what I'm saying is, is that if we want things to change and get better, maybe, just maybe, it's possible that we destroy the messaging for our kids about 
that they have to go to where the work is. Now, I'm, I'm, that's one of the messaging. Well, you've got to go to where the work is. I, I get that that's a thing. But there's also the possibility of can you do something to make work for yourself so that you don't have to move so far away that to go visit your parents or go visit your kids that you got to take two goddamn planes and a freaking train and go through all the crap that's connected with that instead of just jumping in the damn car with a night bag and a couple of changes of clothes and be at your kid's house or at your parents' house inside of 30 minutes because you didn't go to Dallas unless your family lives in Dallas. And that's fine. I'm just saying, I think we've been messaged to death about things that ultimately break up the family and makes damn sure that everybody's spread apart. So I know that there's going to be a lot of people that completely wholeheartedly disagree with me, and that's fine. You're completely entitled to whatever it is that you, however you want to live your life. Although I will say this, I do not think that I'm wrong, that I'm looking around Western civilization and just seeing complete freaking collapse all over the place because we just don't stick together anymore as families. We're, yeah, I got some, I've talked to somebody yesterday said that they haven't really talked to their, their uh, brother and sister in a couple of years. And it's not because they're warring with each other. It's just, they're just, they've just lost touch. So as we are knee deep into the holidays coming out of Thanksgiving and going into Christmas, keep it in mind the people that look around you when you're when you're with family and just realize you know start asking yourself the question was it worth it is is it worth not seeing these people you know any more than one time a year if if that's a situation that you're in because i that's the situation that i grew up with so um i and again i think you know in a way i think bitcoin fixes this because if you're holding some bitcoin and if we think hap- if if it happens if what hap- if what we think happens actually happens you won't have to move away okay so in a way bitcoin fixes this and i'm hoping that bitcoin fixes this other thing what is the other thing that i'm talking about uh we'll end this whole thing here with a uh, snapshot that i took of um uh the guardian's front page today Christine Lagarde avoids jail, keeps a job after guilty verdict in negligence trial. Judges opt not to give any punishment to head of International Monetary Fund who was given support of the International Monetary Fund board after the verdict. So, yeah, she got a guilty conviction. Christine Lagarde was found guilty of negligence in using taxpayer dollars to give a loan to a private individual. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to read that story because this it, that's not the point. It doesn't matter how much. She not only was found guilty and not given any punishment, she d- felt that it was she was above. It was it was beneath her to actually appear in court for the verdict of her criminal negligence trial. She was on a plane heading back to Washington, D.C., where the IMF headquarters are, because, oh, she just, she's Christine Lagarde. Any one of us did this shit, we'd be in freaking prison. 
All right. So hopefully Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin has a much better chance of fixing this than it does our broken family system in the West. So now for the good news, let's get into some, let's get into some positive stuff here. And I'm going to start with proof of sock. That's right. Mountsocks.com. M-T-S-O-C-K-S.com. Mount Socks. Obviously, play on Mount Gox. And I love these dudes, man. Um, for anybody who's who's new to the space, um, one of the very first thing, everybody hears about the pizza guy, Laszlo. Well, he bought, you know, several rounds of Papa John's pizzas for like, I don't know, like 10, I think he was buying pairs of, of pizzas for 10,000 whole Bitcoin, 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza back in the day. That was when it had Bitcoin had no value without someone like Laszlo, who's willing to pull, you know, to take one on the chin for all of us that we wouldn't have, nothing would have, something had to kick off the value proposition of, of Bitcoin as far as does it have value? Can I trade it for goods and services? So everybody's heard, not everybody, but a lot of people have heard about that story and everybody's like, oh, poor Laszlo. Yeah, I don't think you got to worry about Laszlo. Saw him in an interview the, a couple of months back at his house. Uh, you, you, you don't need to be worried about Laszlo. Laszlo's just fine. And I'm sure he enjoyed the pizza. <clears throat> But before that, alpaca socks very well may have been the very first thing actually purchased with Bitcoin. And that's sort of buried in the in the history of, of Bitcoin. We don't hear a lot about it anymore. But yes, alpaca socks, as far as I can tell, was the apps actually the very first item purchased with Bitcoin. So now fast forward to 2019 and we have a company now called Mount Socks. What do they sell? They sell socks. What do they sell it for? They sell it for Bitcoin, but it's a little bit more than that. Um, I'm looking at, I'm I'm at their website, mountsocks.com. No, they're not a sponsor. Okay. Doing this out of the goodness of my heart. I just, I love shilling these companies because they're actually out there doing shit. Right. So, um, Let's see, there is uh, four, let's see, all, okay, they've only got three pairs of socks right now. They've got the Bitcoin, not blockchain sock. They have the roller coaster guy sock, and they have the Bitcoin wizard. Again, back in the day, there was a really crappy JPEG file circulating. It showed a very poorly drawn wizard on a broomstick, and it said, Bitcoin, magic internet money. So they've got that on a sock, and all these socks cost about, 0.0010686 0.0010686 BTC. Man, ain't that a mouthful. Otherwise known as $7.67. So for for you know a little bit over $7.50 a pair, you can have some of these fine socks brought to you by the good people over at Mount Socks. But here's the other thing. Um, proof of sock is another section of their website. And let's just let, let me just take you through this. Proof of sock. What does proof of sock mean? Well, let's cut the techno babble. Proof of sock is the process by which you can verify the socks you receive were sold by Mount Socks and are genuine. So how does the process work? For every pair of socks we sell, we assign a unique Bitcoin address to them along with a message, example, date of purchase, order number ID, that kind of thing. 
We use Bitcoin's messaging message assigning feature to create a signature which proves Mount Sox owns that address. When you receive your socks, you'll be given these details and can use them to verify the authenticity of your purchase. <laughs> Check that they're the real deal via your personal wallet or Mount Socks by following the instructions below. And then they give, clearly, they, they're giving the instructions for how to do this. So I'll skip that part. But... Um, they ask a question here. What other scenario would this be useful in? Signing a message proves that you own a Bitcoin address, making this an easy and useful way for the real Satoshi Nakamoto to prove that he's the creator of Bitcoin. All he would need to do is sign a message using one of Satoshi's publicly known addresses to prove with certainty that he's the genuine Satoshi. <coughs> it's also quick, simple, and would take a matter of seconds for anyone to do. A note to Bitcoin pros. We know that this isn't a bulletproof process just yet, but we really wanted to highlight a simple, rarely known feature of Bitcoin. There are improvements to make to its accuracy, but we decided to keep this functionality as simple as possible to help begin the education of those who are new to the concept. So not only are these guys bringing you what I am going to just assume are high quality, very fashionable socks, but they're also engaged in education. And we're seeing more of this. And I want to see even more of this. I mean, it's it's happening. It's been happening. It's happening more. And I want it to go further. I mean, th- this is an this is a really fun way for people to learn about the little some of the little features of Bitcoin that nobody really talks about. Like when you were shilling Bitcoin at, at the dinner table this Thanksgiving, were you shilling the messaging service? No, you were shilling the price. And the history and the price history and the utility. Yet there's so much more buried in these things that it's going to take companies like Proof of Socks and, and give Bitcoin the ability. It'll, it'll take them to, uh, to, what am I trying to say, to impart some of the nuances of the Bitcoin system because it ain't just about price. Okay, now there is one thing here that I, I, I do wish they kind of uh, go into a little bit more depth in. When, they said, when they're saying a useful way for the real Satoshi Nakamoto to prove that he's the creator of Bitcoin, that's actually wrong. And, you know, hey, don't, don't hate me, socks guys. I'm just pointing out something. All it proves is someone has those keys. It does not prove that the person holding those keys are the people or person or people that built the Bitcoin system, the software and everything, right? That does not, it only proves somebody has access to the keys. The only way I would be convinced at all that Satoshi Nakamoto had come back is to sign with the private keys. He would have to start emailing out of uh, his old email account, which means that he still has the login credentials for that email account. He'd have to log into every social media platform that he ever touched. And I'm not talking about two of five. I'm talking about seven of seven or however many things that he touched, because then we'd have a single individual sending the same message across multiple platforms and he'd have to have credentials for them all. Even then, it's not 100%, but it would be about as much proof as anybody would ever be able to lay down on the table to say, I 
M. Satoshi Nakamoto. Okay. <clears throat> With Mount Sox under our feet, let's get into vitals. BitInfoCharts.com has Bitcoin at $7,279. It looks like the high is going to be over at BitAsset at $7,357.85. And we have a low at CoinsBit at $7,223.16. 300,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours representing 12,600-ish uh, average transactions per hour. 792,000 BTC have been sent over that 24-hour period with an average sent per hour of 33,001 BTC. Average transaction value is 2.62 BTC or roughly 20 grand. The median transaction value is 0.027 BTC or right around 200 bucks. Um, Block time is low at 9 minutes and 32 seconds, and we have 0.15 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 23.3 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. In that same 24-hour period, we have had an increase of 9.7% in the hash rate, bringing us back up to 91.93 exahashes per second, and the last commit to the GitHub uh, core repository for Bitcoin was done sometime yesterday. <clears throat> Ethereum at 150, Bcash at 215, Litecoin at 4664, BSV at $99.61. Ethereum Classic is at 4 bucks and Dogecoin is at 0 0.0023. And with 26,000 transactions uh, over the last 24 hours, it's smoking Litecoin. Damn near comes up to uh, Bcash, which only had 27,000. So yeah, yeah, that's good news. That's that's good news that Doge is almost getting back on top of Bcash. Mempool is light. We're three blocks in, or rather, th we're three blocks deep into the mempool with 6,028 unconfirmed transactions. Looks to me like all of the blocks... Over the last, you know, couple of hours uh, are above one megabyte in size. So Lightning Network. Okay, a little aside here before we get started breaking down the Lightning Network numbers. Um, one of my Bitcoin feeds, I can't remember, or one of my Bitcoin feeds is is a major news feed for me. And I, some, I can't remember what account, <clears throat> but it looks like that, that account is a bot that if somebody posts to RBTC or our Bitcoin, that post is immediately packaged into a tweet and tweeted out. So the one that I saw, somebody posted to RBTC and, and just fair warning, guys, I don't visit uh, RBTC or our Bitcoin anymore. Both of those groups suck. I'm sorry, but they both suck. RBTC arguably sucks worse because they're shilling Bcash, but even our Bitcoin is just, God, replete with just some vile, vile, vile Reddit stuff. So I stay away from it. However, because I have this feed, I got sucked into it <clears throat> because somebody showed a chart and so 
it was a derogatory tweet, obvious, or a, a Reddit post on RBTC about Lightning. Obviously, it's going to be derogatory on RBTC. They don't like the Lightning Network. So somebody posted this graph that showed a huge plummet in something about Lightning. And I think it was uh, the amount of uh, BTC that was on the network. I'm not exactly sure. I got caught up in the comments, and it was just a stream a stream of people saying, I can't believe somebody would actually work on this stupid network. Lightning network sucks, yada, 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 and so on and so forth and forthwith and all that. So I'm like going, well, what the hell happened to the lightning network? So I go over to 1ml.com and I see like no changes. So I can only assume that the graph that was shown Maybe the API failed or something like that, and it glitched or something and gave false readings because I'm seeing nothing but good news out of the Lightning Network. We are at 10,647 nodes. Last, let's see, was last Tuesday, the last show that I did, episode 169, uh, we were just above 10,500. Now we're at 10,647. That's a 150 node gain. On this. So anyway, uh, over the last uh, month, that represents a 3% increase in the number of nodes. The network capacity is at 832 Bitcoin. So that didn't really change. In fact, um, it's actually up on a month over month basis by um, 1% with that number, 832 Bitcoin. I don't know. Um, Number of new cha- or the number of new number of nodes in the twenty uh, four hour period is actually down twenty two percent. We've only got seven new nodes, but that's over a twenty four hour period. New channels has increased ten point five percent. We've got seventy four new channels, uh, which is a ten percent increase over the last twenty four hours. So I'm looking at the numbers going. I don't know what the people over at RBTC are yelling about, but if you got caught up in that, I pretty much would just say sayonara and never go to that group again. Anyway, there's your vitals. All right, man. Song. It's, it's, it's tunage time. And this is a long one. So buckle up or fast forward. This is Led Zeppelin's cashmere. This is not the studio release though. Um, the studio album that Kashmir came off of was Physical Graffiti. And it's a long song anyway, but this is a live version. Live versions tend to be longer, you know, because they're kind of jamming. Anyway, uh, and this is not functionally Led Zeppelin playing this. This was done not too terribly long ago. Um, not sure where, but it was Page. Uh, Robert um, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page got uh, got back together did some, I think they did some work, some page plant work. And this may have been part of that, that, which actually was years ago, you know, actually years ago. But I think this particular performance, um, it looks uh, just the, the nature of the quality of the, of the uh, video suggests that it's really, really recent. And some of the uh, gear that they're using in the background, it's kind of recent. Uh, they put together a band and worked uh, worked up some old Zeppelin tunes, and this this is one of them. Only the sun be down upon my face. The stars to fill my dream. 
of a dim array This world will sound the same The talk of days for which they sit and wait When all will be revealed
All right, morning roundup time. Aaron Von Weirdham, he is writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Does Bitcoin need accounts? One developer thinks so, and he figured out how. Oh, nice. This is, uh, again, Aaron Von Weirdham. He's writing this sometime this morning. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the, the first few paragraphs to introduce this because the rest of it's a really uh, technical discussion on how the following works. <clears throat> Bitcoin doesn't use typical accounts. Instead, with each payment, the funds are sent to a unique transaction output. In such an output, the Bitcoin address can potentially be reused, in which case the address would act a bit like a Bitcoin account. Reusing addresses in this way, however, makes it trivial to link different coins and transactions to the same user, which is horrible for privacy. I agree. Bitcoin users are instead encouraged to generate a new address for each receiving payment. While a best practice for privacy, Spanish developer Jose Fermineus Canuelo believes this isn't exactly user-friendly. Quote, we are somewhat used to Bitcoin payments the way they are, but it's really an atrocity. <laughs> it's like using the internet without domain names, relying only on IP addresses, only worse, because crypto addresses are way longer, uglier, and constantly changing, end quote, Ken Yellow told Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> to solve this issue over the past year, the developer figured out how to bolt an account system on top of Bitcoin. Having extensively detailed the idea in a new white paper, Fermineus is now proposing his Layer 2 protocol, EasyPaysy. E-A-S-Y-P-A-Y-S-Y. EasyPaysy. While preserving Bitcoin's most valuable attributes, such, a, such as privacy and self-sovereignty, no need to rely on custodians, custodians, the Spaniard believes his proposal would improve the Bitcoin user experience significantly. It would enable non-repudiation, recurring payments, and more. So, okay, so this whole, the rest of this describes in a lot of detail about easy paysy. But the long and the short of it is, <clears throat> these are like U URLs for Bitcoin addresses that can somehow change. Not the URL. The URL would be the same. So I would have like, let's say, I don't know exactly, I haven't dug in far enough into this to really know what the address looks like. But if you were to liken it to a, you know, like, I don't know, davidbennett.com, okay? davidbennett.com. <clears throat> I could actually use that as a Bitcoin address, even though every single time that I'm, I'm requesting a payment from somebody, it somehow or another changes the, the Bitcoin address that it's going to send to yet keeps the exact same you, you know, in this example, the exact same URL, davidbennett.com would always be an address that I can send somebody and they can pay it. Yet when they actually pay over the network, unbeknownst to them and me, <clears throat> the receiving address is different. But since all my receiving addresses are generated by the same private key, I get I have all the money. I don't have to keep track of all the the actual payment addresses that I get. Uh, that may not be that, you, that may be something that you want to track for right now. I'm not worried about it. This sounds cool. Will it work? That's the whole question here. I'm excited to see where this goes because it is a known fact that the user experience in Bitcoin is 
pretty atrocious. It, that's just the way it is. For those of us that are excited about it, we don't give a shit. It's something. It's something to learn, and we're on. You know, hopefully, you know, Bitcoin does the things that we want it to do, such as puts Christine Lagarde in a position where she can't be found guilty for giving somebody else's money to another third party because she doesn't have freaking control over it. That's what we're aiming for. To do that, it's going to be messy at, at the you know up front. Okay, so the user experience of Bitcoin kind of sucks. It's going to get better, and it's going to be people like this that e- even if this fails and it doesn't work, at least he's giving it a shot. So hats off to that guy right there. Um, okay. This is going to be a very bitter pill for everybody to swallow because I, I know you guys know know me as as about as maximal as I can get, but I don't agree with with the the particulars of this next story. This is out of Forbes. Uh, Jason Brett is writing uh, sometime on November the twenty ninth. U.S. authorities arrest Virgil Griffith for teaching cryptocurrency and blockchain. According to a press release from the Department of Justice on November the 29th, 2019, Virgil Griffith, resident of Singapore and United States citizen, was arrested for a criminal complaint where he was charged with violating, quote, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act by traveling to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea in order to deliver a presentation and technical advice on using cryptocurrency and blockchain technology to evade sanctions. Oh, good God. FBI Assistant Director in Charge William F. Sweeney Jr. says, quote, Mr. Griffith allegedly traveled to North Korea without permission from the federal government, babysitters, and with knowledge that what he was doing was against the law. We cannot allow anyone to evade sanctions because the consequences of North Korea obtaining funding, technology, and information to further its desire to build nuclear weapons puts the world at risk. It's even more egregious that a U.S. citizen allegedly chose to aid our adversary, end quote. In this case, Griffith is specifically accused of traveling to North Korea in April of 2019 to attend and present at the Pyongyang, sorry, Pyongyang Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Conference. Even though the Department, U.S. Department of State, had denied Griffith permission to travel to the DPRK, Griffith presented at the DPRK Cryptocurrency Conference, knowing that he that in that in doing so violated sanctions against North Korea, and at no time did Griffith obtain permission from OFAC to provide goods, services, or technology to the well, to North Korea. John Demers, Assistant Attorney General, says. Despite receiving warnings not to go, Griffith allegedly traveled to one of the United States' foremost adversaries, North Korea, where he taught his audience how to use blockchain technology to evade sanctions. By this complaint, we begin the process of seeking justice for such conduct. Griffith is specifically charged in connection with the IEEPA as a result of an executive order 13466 of June 26, 2008, continuing certain restrictions with respect to North Korea and North Korean nationals and enforced under the Office of Foreign Assets Control, or the OFAC. Most recently, Forbes reported on how Congress may enact a law with the executive order from Trump specific to Venezuela and the use of the petro currency by U.S. citizens. Okay, so there's nothing more to that. He's The guy's in trouble. The guy, the guy is in serious, serious shit. <clears throat> Why is it you're not going to like this? Because he's an Ethereum guy. He don't like Bitcoin. 
He likes Ethereum. Ethereum's a freaking scam. But be that as it may, I just, I mean, at this point, I'm, 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 I'm kind of, well, I'm pissed off that he got arrested and I'm all, but I'm also kind of pissed off that he was stupid enough to go do all this shit. Cause he knew he was probably going to get arrested. I guess he knew you can't do shit like this without the possibility of going to jail for a long time and be labeled a terrorist for the rest of your damn life. So I, lots of people are jumping up and down saying, yes, another Ethereum thug down. I don't like Ethereum, but I don't want somebody's freedom to be impinged just because they work for a fraud chain. Okay. I mean, let's just go ahead and, and call it like it is. If this is to be, if Bitcoin is to be about freedom and it is, then we should probably not be jumping up and down that some Ethereum guy got thrown in the hooskow because he was too stupid to figure out that he was going to get thrown in the hooskow by traveling to North Korea and explaining to these folks how they can evade U.S. sanctions. I mean, it takes two to tango here. <clears throat> I don't like the federal government doing their overreach on shit like this and, and denying somebody their freedom to do whatever the hell it is that they want. Yet I also, on the flip side of that dance, there's also the guy that, clearly didn't was either he just really didn't understand what he was doing or he was arrogant to the degree Christine Lagarde was arrogant by not even showing up for her freaking verdict. Um, and that he literally thought he could just get away with it. I don't know. I don't know what that was, but I would consider if I were y'all to not jump up and down about the uh, deletion of freedom for this gentleman, even if he is, part of the Ethereum group. Now, somebody else who apparently doesn't like the Ethereum group, Noriel Rubini, joins the anti-Ethereum brigade. This is Christine Veseleva, writing November the 29th, 2019. Noriel Rubini, Dr. Doom, once again lashed out against the perceived lack of value of crypto assets. This time, he selected Ethereum specifically. Dr. Rubini, known for trashing irrational bubbles, believes ETH will go down to, well, of course, zero, as it has no intrinsic value. And then they give one of his tweets. Let's see what he's good doctor. We'll see what the good doctor has to say. Crypto apocalypse. Ethereum down 90% from the peak. In free fall and now close to the 2018 low, still a long way from zero, that is its fundamental value. Actually, it's worth negative given all the toxic externalities of waste energy <clears throat> and pollution that its mining generates. Oh, God. Right, I'm going to stop for a little bit. Notice how Noriel only, his, his entire history of any of the crypto assets, Bitcoin included, stops at the peak. Does anybody of any sound judgment and mind when they're looking at anything like Ford stock or I don't know, Theranos, which is definitely worth zero now or Uber, or, I mean, if they're look, if you're looking at stock, you know, stock charts, do you only ever start looking at it from its highest peak? Or do you look at the entire history for your technical analysis? I don't think the good doctor knows what, well, I'm going to try to curb my language. I don't think he knows what the F he is talking about. 
I don't know how he's risen to the ranks that he's risen to, but whatever. Continuing, this time Dr. Doom failed to mention BTC, though he noted in an older tweet, BTC was still down significantly from its peak. Dr. Rubini also mentioned that smaller altcoins were a disaster. Well, I agree with that. At least one thing with which a part of the crypto community agrees. Again, I agree with that. The Ethereum protocol has been on the, rec- on the receiving end of criticism for a long time. Most of the flaws discovered have to do with the failure to scale and the complexity and low capacity of using the network. Uh, despite the doom- doomsday sayings, however, the crypto market looks in better shape. After two years, uh, about two years after some of the biggest rallies in history, BTC built up a hash rate as much as 20 times higher. Altcoins at the top also achieve higher liquidity and trading volumes are returning. The market has seen multiple failed experiments and some assets have lost 99% of their value, then lost 99% of their value again, dwindling to almost nothing. But failed coins have always accrued, even in the earliest days of crypto trading. Even with the setbacks, the market still has a larger overall volume. The most liquid coins and tokens also give rise to new products and derivatives markets. As for Ethereum, its importance is on the rise again, uh, as it was chosen to be the platform to run an ERC-20 version of Tether. Overall, the crypto space has become more resilient, less shaken by negative news. In the past week, the losses from two relatively large exchanges, Upbit and IDAX, were taken in stride. The market continues despite the gloom and doom statements. More extreme predictions see BTC slide as low as $1,000 based on long-term chart patterns. But so far, BTC has managed to bounce, and there are traders to pop up, prop up the price at much higher levels. There are some fears for an ETH crash in case the upbit thief attempts to cash out some of the haul. But the coin has held up with relative stability as more ETH is taken out of the market and placed in DeFi schemes and collateralized lending. ETH traded at $155.85 that Friday. So, yeah, the good doctor's out there again, but this time he's like he's poking an, uh, poking another animal. Although the animal he's poking is not like Honey Badger. It's a weakened and decrepit unicorn farting rainbows and stuff like that. But... At least, at least he's not talking about us right now. Not that we really should worry about anything the good doctor has to say anyway, but thought it would be interesting to bring that to you. Oh, okay. In, in scarier news, uh, let's get to this one. China on identity. China begins phase two of digital one rollout. This is Akash Athawaza. Yeah, I'm going to go with it. Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, Ian, oh, I'm sorry, this is amcrypto.com. <clears throat> and this is written on November the 30th. China is beginning what could be the second phase of the rollout for the digital yuan, with capital controls being piloted in three main provinces of the country. The second step towards digitization and the eventual intro- introduction of the anticipated digital yuan could be issuing a digitized version of national identity cards. In July 2019, the People's Bank of China has revealed that they had been working on a digital sovereign sovereign digital currency backed by the Chinese yuan for over a year. Since this public revelation, there have been several inklings of news indicating that China is building <clears throat> the infrastructure for the eventual unveiling of the digital cryptocurrency, well, which is not a cryptocurrency, but whatever, which m- many expect to hit the global markets in a year. 
An important precursor for a digital currency, as is with every major country that is riding the wave of digitization, is the need for digital identity, and China has begun this process. Matthew Graham, CEO of Global Capital, spurred a conversation on the subject after he shared a news report about the same, and then it shows the tweet. And he's got a video in there, but this is Chinese news, so let's spoken in China. There's no reason to play it here because none of us are going to understand it unless you can speak Chinese and good, I guess, good for you. Graham's tweet, although revealing a very little, did elicit replies from the cryptocurrency entrepreneurs once based out of China and who now have a better picture of its inner workings. Binance CEO CZ replied to Graham's tweet calling this implementation a giant step towards digital identity. And then, so CZ's tweet actually says, WeChat released the first national or Chinese national ID in its app. One giant step towards digital identity, still centralized, but definitely brings us closer to the decentralized possibilities adoption as well. Um, And I'm going to stop it right there because I got one more piece from China that's even more scary. And if that didn't scare you, you should be scared. This is just bad. This is just bad bad. Why? Well, let's get into this other one. This is actually out of Yahoo, Yahoo, sorry, Yahoo News. China introduces mandatory face scans for phone users. This was published yesterday. Um, who, who, let me see who, give credit here. Do, 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 do. Oh, come on. You're not having a byline. Okay. Well, this is apparently this, this is AFP relax news writing December the 1st. China will require telecom operators to collect face scans when registering new phone users at offline outlets starting Sunday, according to the country's Information Technology Authority. As Beijing continues to tighten cyberspace controls in September, China's industry and information technology minister issued a notice on safeguarding the legitimate rights and interests of citizens online which laid out rules for enforcing real name registration. The notice said telecom operators should use artificial intelligence and other technical means to verify people's identities when they take a new phone number. A China Unicom customer service rep told AFP that the December 1 portrait matching requirement means customers registering for a new phone number, or sorry, registering for a new phone number may have to record themselves turning their head and blinking. Good God, man. In next steps, our ministry will continue to increase supervision and inspection and strictly enforce or strictly promote the management of real name registration for phone users, the September notice said. Though the Chinese government has pushed for real name registration for phone users since at least 2013, meaning ID cards are linked to new phone numbers, the move to leverage AI comes as facial recognition technology gains traction across China, where the tech is used for, for everything from supermarket checkouts to surveillance. Online, Chinese social media users reacted with a mix of support and worry over the December 1 facial verification notice, with some voicing concerns, concerns their biometric data could be leaked or sold. Quote, this is a bit too much <clears throat> control and then more control posted users on the Twitter like Weibo commenting under the article about the new rules. 
While researchers have warned of the privacy risks associated with gathering facial recognition data, customers or consumers have widely embraced the technology, though China saw one of its first lawsuits on facial recognition last month. In early November, a Chinese professor filed a claim against a safari park in Hangzhou, eastern Xinjiang province, for requiring face scans for entry, according to the local court. In addition to mobile users, Chinese social media site Weibo was forced to roll out real name registration in 2012. Oversight of social media has ramped up in recent years as part of the Chinese government's push to promote the healthy, orderly development of the Internet, protect state security and public interest and all that BS, because that's what it is. It's, it's all BS out of China. <clears throat> so that should that should really raise the hackles on, on your neck. And if we don't want to be like China, and believe me, we don't, then you're going to, you and me and all of us are going to have to fight. We're going to have to continue to fight, 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 fight all the time. Just, I don't know, man. I don't know where this is going because, you know, think of the, think of the implications. I mean, yes. I mean, the, the, the immediate implication is you're, you know, having a phone conversation, and uh, you say something derogatory about the Chinese state state government. Okay, they don't like that. So now they have your face attached to the phone number, and uh, but that's not that's not what what really worries me. What really worries me is that as you are having a conversation in public somewhere in China. They know exactly where you're going to be. They know, they know where you are when you're making the phone call. So not, now they have a whole other set of context to look from because the AI cameras that are looking at you, they are, I mean, they're, they're doing this like all the time anyway. They're going to see somebody's face and that face is, is going to like hit a flag and that flag says, hey, this guy had to register his face for a phone. Is he, then the computer said, asked the, the, the computer asks itself, computer, is this man using a phone? Why? Yes. Well, let's listen real time to that conversation while we're recording him and the context of where he or she is, man, dudes, I'm telling you, this is just getting bad. And if they are successfully able to import or rather export this nefarious BS over here, God forbid, but even worse, South America, Central America, Africa, India, man, this is like becoming a world I don't even want to live in because of garbage like this. Will Bitcoin fix it? I hope. I really do. There's your morning roundup. Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by BitConnect at BitConnect19. <coughs> He's replying in a tweet to Adam Back, and the, the discussion is about fraud and, and a couple of other things. And the, the uh, Adam Back is CEO of, of Blockstream, and Blockstream's famous. One of the things that it's famous for is having a satellite. It's not their satellite. They rent time, they rent time on the satellite, okay? It's, it's, somebody, it's owned by somebody else. <clears throat> but they do it for Bitcoin transactions and, and being able to monitor the blockchain, download the blockchain, all kinds of all kinds of stuff like that. But it's Bitcoin in space. Anyway, that's one of the things that they're really famous for. 
So they're talking about, you know, th- this, it's a, it's a huge thread. I'm only going to read two of these, but the, th- so the context is they're talking like the satellite, uh, Adam is really pushing back on Ethereum in this thread, um, and all kinds of stuff. And let's just see what he has to say in this thing that, that sets off our good friend BitConnect. I don't think she or others commenting have it in for Ethereum. We just think it's scammy, unethical, and weak technology. Yes, it could be rewritten, but why should the unsuspecting retail investors misallocate capital to fail again when the failures were predicted in advance? So poor BitConnect got a little triggered. And BitConnect says, I believe your fucking satellite is a fraud in itself. There is no such thing as a fucking satellite. Coincidentally, coincidentally, you also have no image of a satellite, same as ANSA and everyone that claims to have the satellite, not one fucking image of it. Why is it so difficult to make a picture? So joining the idiocy and idiotic ranks of the flat earthers, here we have a gentleman who does not believe that there is such a thing as a satellite. He's it, it, At first, it kind of sounded like he was talking about he wanted a picture of the actual Blockstream satellite, but no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is no such thing as a satellite, as in any satellite. Like, we didn't go to the moon, the earth is not round but flat, and now... Apparently, we've all been fooled into believing that there's satellites in space because there's no picture of a satellite in space. Yeah, okay. Um, I distinctly, I distinctly remember a lot of stuff about uh, lots of uh, live live action footage from the space shuttle on the repair job of the space uh, telescope Hubble. There was that was ongoing for like I want to say that thing happened for a week. Yeah, there are satellites. Uh, we wouldn't be able to communicate the way that we communicate with just underground and underwater cables. It would be impossible. It would be impossible. So there's your smoldering pile in the corner over there with the flat earthers. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Shitcoin Sherpa. That's at Shitcoin Sherpa on Twitter. So this is a this is a dialogue. Okay, this this is the way this one's going to work. Uh, a dialogue between a, a flight attendant, a mom, and the the person, which is me. Um, we're gonna I'm gonna try to do this uh, in a way that that makes sense because it is it's it's easy to read, but it's it's hard to tell. So l- let me kind of straighten this up here. flight attendant says, is there a doctor on board? Mom nudging me. That should have been you, me. Not now, mom. Not asking for a crypto trader to help, are they? Mom, there's a medical emergency happening right now. Well, go and see if market buying Doge helps. (laughs) I know, it's not act. Technically, it's not a joke, but it is damn funny because it... It's not, well, it's not, it is funny, but it's also, I also put it out there for another reason. It's good that we can laugh at ourselves because if this whole, if this whole circus goes south, we're all going to look pretty stupid. (laughs) That's just a fact, man. I'm sorry, but what are you going to do? I, am I, do I think it's going to go south? No, no. I do think that if you're bag holding anything other than Bitcoin, that you're going to get hurt. 
I do think that um, this entire this entire circus about altcoins and and whatnot and I, ICOs, uh, it really it does not help the look of our industry. So what's what's going to suck is that as these ICOs fail one after another, after another, after another. Basically, what we're looking at is no end of news stories on how crypto hurt everybody financially. So be prepared for that FUD. So that's another thing that the ICOs brought us is their their eventual death was going to cause problems. So their birth was going to cause problems. Their life cycle is causing problems and their death is going to cause problems. But at least after they're dead, maybe they won't cause problems anymore. But we've seen zombie coins rise from the dead. BitConnect still trades. It still has some kind of value and it's a known scam. I got ugh. Anyway, again, if you're bag holding anything but Bitcoin, and I'm talking about BTC, I'm not talking about BSV or Bcash for God's sakes, actual BTC, the actual Bitcoin. All right, if you're bag holding anything other than that, you're probably going to get wrecked. But whatever, you know, we tried to warn you. You You called us names for it, but we did try to warn you. And we're going to continue to warn you. But uh, with all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.